All right. Good morning. Good morning, guys. So glad to be here with you this morning. Uh, we are, like we said, in this series called Five Lies About Being a Christian. And if you haven't been joining us the last few weeks, you should totally go back, check it out. I'm not just saying that because it was my boss that was talking. Um, it's like we've gone over some awesome topics, like talking about the Bible, talking about church, talking about like how trying to use our good behavior to earn God's love. Like we've had all these different topics. It's super good. So go back, check them out. Um, but this week, um, I'm kind of excited, a little nervous, because we're talking about something that might be um, a little hard for some of us, and maybe you've already kind of been feeling this struggle for a while. Uh, but the lie this week is that as a Christian, you have to hide your doubts. And for me, this has been a really big thing for my faith, because I feel like this is something that has constantly kind of come up over and over again in my life. Um, so a uh, little bit of backstory. Um, I started following Jesus back in like my junior year of high school, kind of like near the end. Um, and like, you know, like when you're in a new relationship and like that person like just can't do anything wrong. Even like things that you know later down the road are going to really annoy you right now. It's like the cutest thing. Like, uh, like uh, they could be even clipping their toenails at the dinner table. And you're like, this is so cute that you care about hygiene. <laughs> All right, maybe, maybe not extreme, but like you get the idea, like there's like, you don't, they can't do anything wrong, right? I was in that phase. I was in that place where like in my faith, I was like, man, I was like so excited about this life change. I was so excited about following Jesus and this new thing that even when other people had brought up either doubts or other things, I instantly kind of be like, eh, like it's not that big a deal. Like I have this big faith or like, I'd be like, oh, the smarter people in the room, they don't seem to be panicking. So I'm not going to panic. And it kind of went that way for a few years. And then later into my later years of college, and then even after I graduated, it kind of had to start coming to grips with some of those doubts more and more. I couldn't kind of just keep ignoring those doubts. Until finally, I remember um, it was like three months after I graduated from college, I actually started working at a church already in that time. And then a buddy of mine, he had this video, it was like from a documentary, and like the documentary was like specifically like trying to like tear down like different religions, different faiths. Um, and I remember he said, you got to check out like this 15 minute clip of it. And he had me sit there and watch it. And like, you know, like how a documentary is, right? Like it, it has like, it'll build one case and it's got like all these facts to the point. It always kind of almost feels overwhelming because there's so much on like one side of an issue. And like, I watched it and I, it kind of wrecked me. <laughs> to be honest. Like, it was one of those things where, like, I was confused. I was mad. I was angry. At that point, I had been following Jesus for, like, six years. I'm like, have I just been wasting, like, the last six years of my life? And then I started even thinking about the fact that, like, oh, hey, I also now work at a church. Am I even allowed to have these kind of questions? Like, I've had a little bit of doubt before, but, man, this is so much bigger. And I remember in that moment feeling, like, so much shame and like, I didn't know how to handle it. And I just told the guy, I was like, ha pretty cool video. <laughs> Guess I'll have to do some research later. And like, kind of left because <laughs> like, I was trying to hold back from crying, but I was like, I can't cry in front of this guy. That's awkward. And I remember I got, I left my house, got into this, my car. Cause I don't know about you guys. For me, one of the all, and I have kids, I have a lot of great friends, but I think one of the all time top five favorite things in my entire life is driving in a car, windows down, most of the time with music, but not always, like down a country road. And so like, I was like, the only, I was like, I don't know what else to do. I literally get in my car, drive down the road, country road, 
And I just remember feeling all the feels. Like I was screaming at God in my car, like, why would you let me believe this? This whole time, it was just a lie. It was all these things that like helped me believe. And then I was feeling shame. So I was like, why am, I, why am I yelling at God? And then I'm like feeling all these tears and sadness that like this thing that kind of felt like it was something that I loved for so long, felt like it was changing and wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. And for me, it was like kind of like this pivotal moment in my faith because I think I learned a lot during that season. Because during that time, I kind of thought faith and doubt were kind of like you're all in or you're all out. Almost kind of like a light switch little effect, right? Where like I could have faith, like especially when things were going good. Like I know a lot of people talk about like when a child was born, like they're like, oh yeah, that makes it really easy to have faith because you have, so, you know, all these positive things happening. But then when something didn't go right, right, like either someone may be sick, someone passes away that we didn't expect. Maybe it's like, for me, a lot of times it's like the news. You're like, what is going on? And like sometimes those things can be like, how can God be in the midst of all of this? And so in those moments, my faith kind of just turned off because the doubt kind of took over. And it felt like I could either have one or the other, but they didn't work well together. And since then, uh, I've kind of learned that in a lot of ways, faith and doubt, there's room for both of those in our lives. And I think when expressed the right way, there can actually be a really healthy relationship between them. In fact, there is this uh, quote from uh, Michael Novak. He is a Christian philosopher. This is what he said, and I think this is a really good way to look at it. He says, doubt is not so much a dividing line that separates people into different camps, as in like you either have faith or you don't, as is a razor's edge that runs through every soul. He says, every person has that capacity for faith and doubt to live together in them. And if you're like, all right, maybe that's just your story, Nico. That's not, don't try to put that on everyone. I would go as far to say as anyone who has ever tried to be a Jesus follower had doubt in their lives. In fact, I want to kind of throw real quick a few people up here. Um, they're kind of like giants of our faith. Uh, first one, go ahead, throw it up. That is Billy Graham. You may have heard of him before. Uh, world famous for being like a, he was on TV, he was on the radio, he used to do events all across the country, he would travel and speak, telling people about Jesus. Um, his uh, foundation has come out and said like, through like the course of his ministry, over 3 million people started choosing to follow Jesus during one of his events, which is just the ones that they recorded. I'm sure it's even higher than that. Um, but at the end of his life, there was a reporter that was interviewing him. And like, he's had this huge ministry. Most people would be like, yes, I would love for that to be something in my story. And when they asked him like, hey, when you get to heaven, do you think God is gonna look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Billy kind of, he like paused, kind of like thought about it. And then he responded with, I hope so. Like even after that whole thing, he was still like, I, I hope, <laughs> I hope so. Or right, let's throw up that next one. This is Martin Luther. You might remember him from your history class. Not Martin Luther King. This is a different guy. <laughs> Came way before him. But he was really big deal for the faith and for the church because at the time the church was making some really bad choices and he has this whole like 95 theses, these 95 things like, hey, we need to fix this in the church and like post it up on the door is a really big deal. The church changed a lot of things because of him. And so during his life, 
the story goes, that there's these things called creeds that people would recite daily to basically kind of remind themselves of like true things about God and who he is. And this woman came up to him and said, talked about how her struggles with doubt, talked about how like she has a really hard time kind of believing sometimes. And he said, well, when you say your creeds, do you really believe them? And she said, yes, of course I do. And his response was, go in peace. You believe more and better than I do. Like even in that moment, you believe more and better than I do. Last one I want to throw up here real quick. It's Mother Teresa. So um, she is uh, world-renowned for being someone who gave up all of her life to live in Calcutta, work in the slums to help widows, help orphans, help people who are sick and dying and giving up her life to do that. Like for years, I remember even growing up, even before I really even cared about Jesus, I was like, man, there's something about her that's different, unique, and I kind of want something like that in my life. And uh, kind of in the years since she has passed, there's been all kinds of journals and letters that have kind of come out, kind of showing how much doubt she really struggled with. Um, Specifically, I have a quote from her. This was a letter that she was writing to a reverend. And she said, Jesus has a very special love for you, talking to him. She says, as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look around and do not see. I listen and do not hear. And I don't know, for me, when I first heard that, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, man, that is so, so that's kind of a chilling statement to make for someone that you think of faith instantly when it comes to her. So I think our question for this morning is simply this, what do we do with doubt? Like, what do we do with doubt? Because maybe you're here this morning and maybe you haven't been to church in years, or maybe you go on, like, on occasion when someone really kind of like, they're driving you out, you're like, I'll go. But it was because you kind of thought like your doubts kind of excluded you from being a part of what is going on at a church. Or maybe you've had doubts when it comes to your faith. And so like you had faith at one point and you're like, you know what? This isn't working for me anymore. And you had to throw it out. And I just want you to know, like, if that's your story, man, we are so glad that you're here this morning. Thank you for giving us your time. And this is a place where you can feel free to have your doubts, to hold your doubts. And we'd love to have conversations about those because I think you're going to find that we have a lot more in common than maybe you think that we do. And then on the other side is maybe you're here and like, you know, like your faith is like a really valuable thing. And so like, you've tried really hard to hold on to it. And so all the doubts that you've had, you've either kind of bottled up or maybe you kind of put it in a box and now you kind of put it like in the back closet of your mind. Cause you're like, I can't, it's kind of almost like this dirty little secret. You're like, I can't really let these things out because I don't know how to handle them. Cause let's be honest, doubt can kind of be a confusing thing when we really think about it. Because all of us, whether you want to admit it or not, have doubts ourselves. We see these people that we look up to when it comes to their faith, they have doubts, right? But there's something about them that made it so they still had room for doubt and for faith in their lives. They had that room, they had something to still hold on to. But at the same time, we all know friends, family, coworkers who have had those same doubts and it led them to a dead end in their faith, a doubt that ended up maybe even killing off the faith that they had or maybe even the possibility for them to ever have faith in the first place. And so what I wanna look at today is a passage because as you can probably guess, uh, doubt isn't something new. 
This has been something that uh, we have struggled with ever since people were able to think. Like, I know we just now started using the term fake news. Guess what? People knew fake news was fake news way before fake news happened. So this is something that we have been already knowing, and doubt has been something that has already been creeping into our minds. So um, I want to kind of set up where we're going today. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 9. Um, and this is basically kind of an eyewitness account looking at the story, kind of we're going to recount a story of Jesus and what was happening. This is actually recorded and put out eyewitness. So you can, you can know that this is a guy that was actually there with him in this event, not something that was passed down over and over and over. But this is how it goes. Jesus and his disciples, they're coming down from a mountain and they're walking up to this big crowd of people and they're all arguing. And I don't know about you guys, Jesus is so much different than I am. Because if I saw a whole crowd of people arguing, I'm like, I'm putting in my headphones, I'm going to keep walking the other way. Uh, Not Jesus. He walks right up and says, what are you arguing about? This is what we see happens. It says, someone from the crowd responded. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you since he has a spirit that doesn't allow him to speak. Wherever it overpowers him, it throws him into a fit. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth and stiffens up. So I spoke to your disciples to see if they could throw it out, but they couldn't. And Jesus answered them, you faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring him to me. Now, um, I just want to set like a little side note to this because like right now we're talking about a passage with someone who has like an evil spirit in them. And can we all just admit, it's kind of weird. <laughs> like, I don't know about you. Maybe you have a way bif- different life experience than I do. But even for me, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of weird. I don't know that I've ever seen someone that I'm like, oh yeah, they got an evil spirit inside of them. And so hundred percent, let's just acknowledge that. But I also know is that as someone who follows Jesus, that there are kind of, there's like a hidden realm. There's a different thing going on in the background that I can't always see. And a lot of times when God's working, I don't even understand it or always know exactly how it works. So I try to always in these moments, leave a little bit of room for that. And I think the other side, if you're like, I'm not even there, maybe for you, like the way that I would hear this story is that like, Haven't we all seen someone who has just chose self-destructive behaviors over and over? And it almost feels like there's no way they could be making these choices on their own. Maybe it's an addiction they're battling. Maybe it's something else. But we know people who seem seem to kind of self-sabotage themselves over and over. All I'm saying is I would just encourage you to kind of put a pause on that and kind of lean in to what God might be saying in this passage. So let's continue. He says, they brought him. So they brought the son out. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a fit. He fell on the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been going on? And he said, since he was a child, he has often thrown him into a fire, into water, trying to kill him. If you can do anything, help us, show us compassion. And man, Every time I read this, like I almost like, especially now as a father, if you're a parent, like you can feel like the distress in his voice, right? Like you can feel like this is something they haven't been just dealing with for a couple of days. This has been going on for years. And he is just like at the end of his rope. He doesn't know what else to do. And you can just hear him just going, please, if you can do anything to help us, please show us compassion. He doesn't know what else to do. And then the story continues, and this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, 
if you can do anything. Like, I love that. Like, he's already kind of hinting at, like, oh, you don't know if I can even do it. Like, if, if I can do anything. And he says, all things are possible for one who has faith. And at that, the boy's father cried out, I have faith. Help my lack of faith. And I'll be honest, that's one of the verses, every time I read the Bible, it always stands out to me because it always hits so hard. Because I think in this moment, we can see how little faith he really has. Because like, have you ever been like, you remember as a kid, maybe this is just me, but I don't think it's so. Um, I don't think it's so, that's not even right the way you talk. Um, But I remember as a kid, like when I would get in trouble, I'm the oldest, and so I had two annoying younger, I had a younger brother and a younger sister, and I had a lot of times get in trouble for hitting them. And that's just how it goes. They were annoying. They were habitually always being annoying, so you kind of had to, you know, it's just how it goes. So I would remember, like, getting in trouble, getting yelled at, getting, uh, you know, reprimanded, all the things, and then at the end, your parents always go, are you going to hit your brother and sister again? Like, as if, like, your answer is going to completely solve the problem. And in that moment, you know for sure they are going to be annoying again. Probably tomorrow, I'm probably going to hit them again. But you know in that moment, you can't say that because then the whole conversation starts over again. So even though you know you're going to hit them again, you go, of course not. I'm never going to hit them again, mom. Sorry, mom. Um, So all that to say is like, this is the moment. Like this is like when you're in Sunday school and they say, what's the answer? And you know, oh, you got to say Jesus. Like Jesus, like this guy knows all he's got to do is say, yes, Jesus, I have so much faith. But he doesn't, right? Because he knows there, he is so raw. He's so tired. He's so at the end of his rope. He can't even imagine trying to lie at this point. And he says, I have faith. Help my lack of faith. And then it continues, says, noticing that the crowd had surged together, Jesus spoke harshly to the unclean spirit. Mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. After screaming and shaking the boy horribly, the spirit came out. The boy seemed to be dead. In fact, several people said that he had died, but Jesus took his hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And I think what is so powerful and what we can see from this story, just like this father did, that he was sitting there expressing his doubt. Instead of leaving it kind of inside himself, he's like, I'm gonna get it out. And that when we do that, oftentimes Jesus can use that doubt that we're expressing to lead to life, to lead to healing. And that Jesus wasn't in that moment, he wasn't scared He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't like, oh, sorry, man. You gotta have like 2% more faith and then I can do something. No, 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 no. He was like, I'll take that one little drop of faith you have and I'll do amazing things with it because Jesus is so much bigger and better than our doubts. And when we express our doubts, when we get them out and not just try to hide them down, we can kind of go somewhere with our doubts, right? We can make it so we're not just trapped in them. Because I think the flip side of this is also true, is that unexpressed doubt can lead you to a dead end. Because oftentimes, and I've been here before, I totally get it, that when we have those doubts, we think we're the only one, right? We're like, oh, I'm the only one that's ever thought about this doubt in the entire history of mankind. That's not true. But we think it, like in that moment. 
And then when we kind of hold on to those things, we kind of box them in, it kind of slowly starts to eat away at our faith, almost like faith, almost like a, like a toxic poison to our faith, our foundation, kind of start tearing away at it. And that's why I used to think like doubt was the enemy of faith, but now I know that doubt isn't the enemy of faith, silence is. Silence is what really is the enemy of faith. Because like, let's be honest, like we make decisions all the time without all the information. Like, can we just be real? Like for work, man, all the time we got to make decisions and we don't have all the information. We're just doing the best guess that we can do. Same thing with like home life. Like if you are a parent, if you ever had kids, every decision I've ever made, I'm like, I don't know if I'm really doing this right, but I'm trying real hard, right? There's all kinds of that. Or like, I think the, I think the best example for me is a plane, have you guys ever rode in a plane and actually felt for sure you were going to be safe the entire time? Absolutely not, right? Every time there's even one little shake, I'm grabbing the person next to him and we're best friends now. So I'm like, I got to hold on to somebody. This is the reason we got so many bars in the airport. That's just how it goes, right? So, so like we do things all the time where we have plenty of doubts, but we can continue to make a decision and move forward. And there's something weird or something that we feel differently about faith in Jesus where we feel like, oh, I can't do that unless I have all my answers, all my ducks in a row, right? And if we hold on to every doubt that we ever have, every question and say, like, hey, I can't follow Jesus unless I have all these things answered, man, I'm gonna tell you guys right now, you're always gonna be stuck. You'll never get all those answers that you want. And instead of being waiting to be saved by Jesus, you're gonna be waiting to be saved by your own intellect. And I don't know about you guys, I'm not that smart. I don't have that much smartness, which actually shows, because I should have said intelligence there. Yeah, that shows, I don't know about you guys, I'm not that smart. But a lot of times when it comes to our doubt, like we almost look at it like a math problem to solve, right? Like if I have A plus B, then I can get C. Like if I just plug in these right things, then I should just be able to get a solid, concrete answer. And I think if we're being honest, like we don't really want that, right? Like uh, if we had a God that we completely understood everything about God, understand every last thing he ever did, and we could kind of just put him in like a little God box. You go like, God, I understand you and all that. That God, let's be honest, would that God really be worthy of any worship? No, because we already are bigger and know more than this God. Part of what makes God so amazing is the mystery that we don't even always understand why he's doing what he's doing. Um, I think if you had to ask me, um, the person I know the best on this planet is my wife. We've been married for like 13 years. We dated, I think we're at 15 years. We've been actually been together. Um, and like, man, I still every day say stupid things that I get in trouble for. Like literally every day, because I don't always know. It's not like I'm ever going in there like, I'm going to really make her mad today. <laughs> don't worry, it happens a lot. But even in those moments, like I'm not like I'm trying to do that. It's because I didn't understand the situation. I thought this joke was going to land and be really funny. And she was like, no, know your audience. She says it to me a lot. So <laughs> all that to say is even my wife, who is like a, a person, I can't barely even understand her some of the times. And so how would we ever expect to know God and every last thing he's ever going to do and be able to put him in a little box, right? We wouldn't want that. We'd get bored. It'd be like Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray. Yes, that's your Bill Murray reference for the morning. You're welcome, right? We would just get bored with it. It could be the same thing every time. But what we see in scripture, what we can constantly see over and over is that when we express our doubt, God can use doubt to grow your faith, 
It's the opposite of how it works if you just hold it to yourself. And so uh, to bring it back, um, I had uh, that story in the beginning where I was talking about my, my drive, my kind of dark night of the soul where I was really struggling with faith. I'm going to be honest, like I wrestled with it for months. <laughs> it wasn't an easy thing. And uh, I was as mad as I was. I had to go to bed that night not having a single answer for anything. Um, and to be honest, even months later, still felt like I had zero answers for it. And thankfully now, over the years, I've felt like I've gotten answers to some of the things, but to be honest, not a lot of the things. Um, in like, There were kind of my initial doubts and hesitations at times. Um, but what I have found is that it all comes back to where am I looking? Where are you looking? And you're like, all right, what do you mean, Nico? Let me, let me break this down for you. Um, so uh, earlier this week, it was actually, I believe it was on Monday, um, we have a two-year-old daughter. She's super cute. Um, and I remember I got her out of her crib in the morning. I sat her down, um, like, to, you know, start walking around. She's got a little kitchen that she loves. She goes, cook, day, cook, day, cook. And so I was bringing her over there because it's cute to watch her cook. And uh, as I sat her down, she instantly kind of grabbed her leg and said, day, ow, ow. And, like, it kind of threw me off because, like, I don't know, I always get a little nervous when a kid like, doesn't know how to really communicate words yet. It's saying, like, the hurts. I'm like, how am I supposed to help you? I'm not a doctor. I don't know what I'm doing. So I literally, I'm like, I try to put her down a couple times, and, like, she keeps acting like she's hurt. So I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I do what I think any parent would do is I put her on the couch and turn on TV. So I'm like, just watch this for a minute. I got to get ready for work. I got to get these, your, your brothers ready for school. I don't got time for this. And, you know, I tell Sarah, my wife, I'm like, hey, I don't know what she's doing. She's acting like her legs hurt. I don't know what to do. And you know, I kept kind of checking back in as I had went to work that day to kind of see what was going on. And at first, like the first couple hours, like, yeah, she's still acting like she's hurt. And I'm like, man, I'm going to go pay for a doctor. It's going to get expensive, hospital visits. Um, and then my wife said she brought her outside because she's like, oh, she really loves the trampoline. Maybe the trampoline will be the thing that gets her. Puts her down, still says her legs hurt. And then as she's standing there saying her leg hurts, a little grasshopper or cricket, I don't know which one it was, starts hopping by and she saw it and got so fixated on it, she started chasing after the cricket and the grasshopper. And what I love about that story is that obviously like her leg, I'm sure, like she probably slept on it funny. Like I have no doubt that the pain was still there. But all of a sudden when she changed her focus, all of a sudden that pain didn't debilitate her anymore, right? All of a sudden she was able to chase after that cricket and her curiosity for what was going on all because she changed what she was looking at. And so for you, like if doubt is the thing that you feel like you're struggling with and you don't have room for faith, what are you looking at? I think there's three things that I've kind of seen as I process my own doubt that I've seen to be true. And the first one is, is that when I am struggling with doubt, one of the things I do is I look back right? Like I remember what I have been through, the things I've seen family members go through, the ways that I've seen God show up in the past. And sometimes, let's be honest, in those moments, it's really easy to kind of discount those. But man, this is one of those things, if we are in a regular practice of just thinking back, it can be a game changer for our faith to constantly be reminded of, oh yeah, yeah, this isn't a new thing. God has been with me all along the way. 
Um, actually, for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, this was like something that was like core to who they were. Like for us, when you think about like remembering something, we're kind of, it's kind of almost like a passive thing, right? Like you don't really think of it in like a really strong, active way. But for the Israelites, for God's people, like they did all kinds of things to actively remember who God was. They used to have like their holidays. They were all about like celebrating and remembering what God had done in their past. They had uh, every week they had Sabbath was like their day of rest to be able to remember what God had done for them. Um, They had this thing called uh, this, um, this kind of slogan that they would say over and over called the Shema. That was kind of like a phrase that they would repeat to themselves morning, noon, and night. That was constantly just a reminder of who God was and that constant reminder to put it in their mind. Like for them, remembering wasn't a passive thing. It was an active thing. So when we're struggling with that, we can look back. We can also look to the side. Um, And I think this one is one that sometimes we miss out on because uh, there are a lot of ways that sometimes in the moment we can get a little uh, kind of in our current circumstances, we can kind of get a little off track and not really look at the opportunities that we have around us. I think one of the best ways that we can look to the side is simply sharing our doubts, expressing our doubts, right? Um, And I think, I don't know, I think if I was growing up in church, I probably would have gotten in trouble for saying this. I'm going to say it anyways. But I think like there's room for us to share and express our doubts to people who are uh, Jesus followers and people who aren't Jesus followers. Like when I was growing up, it kind of always felt like there was like this like, oh, it's like this secret club. And like you can only tell your doubts to other people who are also Jesus followers because like they'll help you. They'll kind of guide you a little bit. And like it'll make it so like we don't want the people who aren't Jesus followers to know about all our doubts. But but let's be honest, like if we actually live that out, that just makes this whole issue an even bigger deal because then everyone who's not a Jesus follower is like, yeah, they all have it together. Like they don't have any doubts. Why would I ever, like my one doubt is already more than all of them combined. And that's not the truth, right? And that's why for me, like I have found so much life uh, in, in community with other Jesus followers to share my doubts because almost every single time I've ever shared a doubt, someone else has been like, Oh yeah, me too. I thought about that. I don't really understand that thing. And it's helped me have those conversations over and over. This is, if you don't have a group of people like that, number one, start looking around the room, start talking to your neighbors. Go ahead, just start telling them all your doubts right now. <laughs> don't really do that, that'd be weird. weird. Um, but this is the reason we believe in table groups. You're welcome, Allison. This is a shout out. Yeah, this is the reason... We believe in table groups because this is a group of people that you can be in community with, that you can share things and doubts that you have in your life and not be rejected, not be ashamed, be able to express them with them. And I think the other side of this is true. And I've seen this play out so many times of even I've had a lot of friends that have been either like atheists or agnostic or another faith. And it has been so helpful to have conversations with them and talking through my doubts or even talking to them about their doubts. Because a lot of times they'll come at it and I'm like, oh, wow, that's even more doubts than I thought I had. And like, you're not going to add to it. But then as we process through it, it makes it so my faith continues to grow. Um, I had this friend in college, his name was Brian and like, he was like one of those guys that is significantly smarter than I am and like had like researched every religion that I had ever even heard of. Some of my hadn't even heard of. And like, I can't even tell you how many great conversations we had where we would talk for hours and literally not one time agree about faith or what like kind of the implications of things were. And yet it helped me grow my faith constantly talking to someone who didn't believe the same things that I do. 
kind of a crazy thought right now in America, right? Talking to people who think and believe differently than I do and having like a normal conversation with them. And I think the other thing that we can do as we look to the side is look at your current circumstances. Because like, if we're going to be honest, like most of the time when doubt creeps in, isn't it because like something really hard is going on or maybe something you're really struggling with? And often for me, when I have a doubt, it's like one or two things that are really starting to build up. And I'm like, I get so focused on those that I don't even stop to think about, oh yeah, but what about everything else in life? Like, is God still giving me air to breathe right now? And I still have like a car that he has blessed me with, a house, an amazing family. I have love from friends. I have all these other things that some reason, as soon as things get really hard, as soon as dark, dark doubt starts to creep in, it makes it really easy to not remember or think about those things. So look to the side, whether you're sharing conversations or looking at our current circumstances. And the last one is simply this, look forward right? Like, I think a good way to ask a question when we're in doubt or we're like trying to really struggle with the situation that we're in is just simply going, what can God do in this situation? Because we have a God that like can heal the sick. He can calm the storms, literally controls nature. He created everything that you have ever experienced or seen. That's a God that's in control. And man, I promise there is nothing that is going on in your life, no doubt that is too big for that God, right? Like that is a God that can handle all your doubts, all your fears, and is not scared of any questions that you have. Jesus isn't up in heaven going, oh man, hope, hope they don't ask me about the dinosaurs. That's going to be a hard one for me. No, 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 no. He is not like he, God is so much bigger and is ready to embrace you in your doubt. So the question, again, we come back to is what are you going to do with your doubts? Are you going to let them hold you back? Are you going to make it so that you have to hide them so you can kind of look and have like this pristine look to yourself that nobody else sees and let it slowly eat away at your faith? Or are you going to use your doubts to help you grow your faith? to help you get a deeper trust in Jesus, to really be able to focus on him because everything else might not make sense right now and you might be so focused on that doubt, but you know at the end of the day that Jesus brings life and love and you want that. You're choosing that. Um, I'll close us today um, with an illustration uh, from a pastor that I really love named Tim Keller. And uh, I, he's actually put this in multiple books that he's written and I've read both of them, and uh, I think about this little kind of illustration all the time for my own faith. Um, and what he says is he kind of builds this kind of big analogy, talking about this guy walking up, this big illustration of this guy walking up to a cliff. And he's, as he's on the edge of the cliff, he begins to fall. And thankfully, there's a big tree branch kind of right next to him, right? And so as he's falling, he says that, you know, it doesn't matter if he has really, really strong faith that that branch is going to save him. Because if he doesn't grab it, that doesn't really matter, right? And it doesn't matter on the other side is if he has really, really little faith in the branch, like thinking, oh, this branch is probably going to break. But then he grabs anyways, right? The, the outcome, it doesn't matter how strong your faith is. It all comes down to whether you grab the branch. And so this is how he ends it. And this is the quote that he has. It is not the strength of your faith but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. 
You guys, we have the strongest branch there's ever been in Jesus. And Jesus, again and again, shows us, you can take your little bit of faith or your lot of bit of faith and bring it to me, and I will do amazing things with it. And he doesn't reject us. He gives us true freedom in life. All we have to do is take the faith that we have and say, Jesus, you're the branch I want to hold on to. Um, 